0: Since 1971, Beauty O Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family owned and operated mail order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello, welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. I've spoken a few times on this podcast about my love for county birding. My home state of North Carolina has 100 counties, which is sort of perfect for county listing. And that my goal for as long as I live here is to try and see 100 species in all 100 counties. As far as I know, this has never been done not even clear that I will be the first one to do it. It's sort of an open-ended burning goal, something I have in the back of my mind when I'm kind of cruising around in North Carolina. I say this because I shared some recent county listing shenanigans on Twitter the other day, and I had someone suggest that I perhaps needed to be more neutral about county listing in general, but I will not. I I will not do it. I, I love it. It causes you to sort of Pay attention to the patchwork of habitat in a given region. It makes even a relatively mundane birding outing exciting because you want to find things like fish crow or savannah sparrow or American kestrel. It's hyper-local, it's hyper-aware, and yes, maybe it does play into the sort of number obsessions that can turn birders to the dark side, but I am under no illusions whatsoever that I am doing this for anyone but myself. And even if my effort inspires others, the goal is always for me to visit all the counties and to see all the birds myself. You can do it if this is something that seems interesting to you. you, Please go ahead. Do your own thing. That's, That's fine. I bring this up, though, to illustrate the sort of weird circumstances this effort quest quest really puts you in for one of my neighboring counties. Alamance, next one, over to the east. I have been stuck at 97 species for about a year now. I'd hoped that running a breeding bird survey that sort of goes into the county for like the last 10 or so stops might be enough to get me over that line. But after a couple years, it had not. So I found myself with a little bit of time last week and I decided to run over to that county to see if I could find those three species. So I stopped at the Greenway Trail and found a winter wren, which was one I needed. Uh, I needed some waterfowl, so I went to a nearby lake. I found a pair of Bonaparte's gulls, kind of unexpected. This put me at 99, 99. I, I had not really expected to find birds this easily. And honestly, I half expected not to even get this far. But here I was at 99 birds already in the county. Why not try to find that last one. So that's how I found myself driving around the town of Elon, looking for any small pond on Google Maps that might host a Bufflehead or a Ringneck deck and just striking out over and over and over again. All I could find were Canada geese and those sort of manky mallards. So I, I had grumbled about as much to Twitter, which exists as nothing so much as a place to grumble. Only to have a local friend direct me to a series of ponds on the other side of the county. And had I been at like 88 or 115 or 12, um, I wouldn't have made the trip. But being at 99, it does something to you. And I, I happily drove over. I added the extra time and distance to my morning. I picked up both species before heading back home to the rest of the day's responsibility. So I realize this is not a particularly exciting birding story. It's a very mundane birding story. Uh, the birds involved are sort of pedestrian. The number is completely arbitrary, but it's a real birding story. And sometimes those little extra motivations to get you out in the field, spend a little extra time in the field, do the job. One more down, 80 odd to go, and I now I never have to bird Alamance County again if I don't want to. Aside from my BBS route. Job done. On the show this week, I am delighted to talk about the triumphant return of Bird Watchers Digest, rechristened as BWD to the birding world, like some sort of bird rising from extinction, uh, Bermuda Petrol, Blue-Eyed Ground Dove, whichever one you like. We thought it was gone, but it was not gone. New editor Jessica Vaughn and publisher Mike Sakopoulos joined me to spread that happy news and talk a little bit about their plans for the future, all after this week's Rare Birds. this is your rare bird focus for the first week of march 2022 a couple first records to report this week one pretty wild the other less so so in the interest of dramatic tension i'll lead with the latter the first record of lesser goldfinch for illinois was seen this week at a feeder at sagawao environmental learning center in the southwest chicago suburbs that's cook county the bird was banded late last week and was regularly visiting the feeding station afterwards, showing off its new bling to a large crowd of excited Illinois birders. It's a little surprising how few records there are of lesser goldfinch east of the Mississippi River, given how nomadic finches can be generally. I wonder if it's simply a matter of awareness one could easily see how a lesser goldfinch and a flock of American goldfinches could be easily overlooked, especially a young female bird like this Illinois one. And indeed, a quick look at eBird suggests that most extralimital records in the east are indeed of the more distinctive male birds. So there could be a lot of them going unseen across the eastern part of the continent. But it's in Texas where we see an incredible moment of birding serendipity, Birder Skip Cantrell was at the jetty at Port Aransas in Nueces County, Texas, in late February, photo documenting Texas's third record of Harlequin duck, a pair that had been there for about two weeks at the time. When he turned his camera to the Gulf and photographed a flyby Trindade petrel, a first record for Texas and I think the Gulf of Mexico. What this bird was doing in the Gulf is one mystery, and within sight of land is another, but Tube Nose's are certainly full of these mysteries, as we know well. In any case, this is surely one of the greatest checklist twofers of all time. Harlequin Duck and Trindati Petrel on the same checklist has, without a doubt, never happened before. I don't know if they've ever even been seen on the same day before. That's all I have this week. If you want a more complete roundup, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org/rba, or to get those rarities as soon as they happen. You can join our Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. That is ABA Rare Bird Alert, except no substitutes. The birding world was shocked and more than a little saddened late last year when the venerable magazine Birdwatchers Digest announced that it was ceasing operations. Famously founded by Elsa Thompson and Bill Thompson Jr. in 1978, and helmed for three decades by the late Bill Thompson III. It was the first consumer birdwatching magazine and a real tentpole of the birding community here in North America. We are excited to announce, though that BWD will be back in 2022 with many of the same people involved. Jessica Vaughn will be the editor and Mike Sakopoulos, publisher. They both joined me today. Welcome to you both. Congratulations. Hey, thank you very much, Nate, and thanks for having us on. Of course.
1: Thank you, Nate. Happy to be here. Happy to have good news to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, You know, we're, we're recording this on the 3rd. It just came through my various social media feeds that bwd is back so i um, excited to talk about it very sort of serendipitous that i'm talking to you today of all days um but you know even though the magazine has a lot in place it must be a lot of work to get the train sort of moving again um so so what have you guys been up to lately
1: I've been joking that I've spent more time on the phone and on Zoom calls in the past <laughs> two months than I did for the whole pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: really saying something, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's been a, a train that started and hasn't stopped and keeps picking up speed. Um, but it's been a really fun ride and we're just getting started, I think. <laughs> so,
0: Yeah. Yeah, Jess, Jess, can you talk a little bit about your your history with Birdwatcher's Digest and why it was so important to you Sure. to, to bring it back?
1: Absolutely. Um, I went to Marietta College uh, many moons ago, and I was an English major there, and it took some convincing for my professors to get me to be an English major, because I was <laughs> determined that... Actually,
0: the other way around. <laughs> I know. Well, I was an
1: English minor, but I was like, what am I going to do with a major? I don't want to teach. <laughs> I don't want to be a lawyer. No offense, Mike. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with that, and they convinced me me that there were other options and lined up an internship at Birdwatcher's Digest. So that uh, year, I spent a year interning at BWD under Bill, and uh, that was my introduction to magazine publishing, and I fell in love with the industry. Um, I won't say I fell in love with birding at that point, but it certainly sparked (laughs) something in me. Um, One of my projects that I had to do was an independent study. And at that time, there were 20 years worth of BWDs. And I had to read all of them and index them.
0: That's a crash course in birding, it was. In, in birding world. <laughs> <For sure.
1: laughs> so I think that kind of simmered in my brain for some years and I kind of went on with life and went to grad school and moved to Columbus, Ohio and had my, my life. And then, um, I was in my 30s and I'd had my first child and uh, a very close friend got really into birding and found Bill and Julie online and saw that they were holding uh, the Midwest Birding Symposium up at Lake Erie in 2011. All right. And I okay. was like, you know what? I haven't seen them in so long. Let's go. Like I was just kind of going along for the ride and I got bit and I got bit hard <laughs> and it very quickly became this outlet for me from motherhood and the demands of married life and work and all the pressures and I just jove in. So I renewed that connection with Bill and um, I actually just noted yesterday, it was five years ago yesterday, that he asked me to proofread, start proofreading the magazine. Um, mm-hmm. I have a freelance editorial company and he asked me to help out with that. And so I started doing that um, as a freelance basis and um he paid me in reader rendezvous that I could join <laughs> trips, <laughs> which was the best payment I could ask for to spend it's three, true. four, or five days burning next to Bill Thompson the third. And um and so then when he passed three years ago, and it's not the way I wanted to come on staff, but uh, Don Hewitt moved into his role, and she needed an assistant editor, and I was already there and stepped right in. It was a perfect fit at, at that time.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's something about those um, birding festivals, birding symposiums, things mm-hmm. like that, that is just—it's like a crucible of. <laughs> of the birding world and it's just like this intense intense feeling intense birding intense being around people who care about birding and bird watching as much as you do. It's uh it's hard not to get caught up in those in the moment in the situation there. Absolutely. There there'll be a lot of familiar faces at BWD 2.0 uh but some new faces too. Mike, your professional background is not necessarily birding related, but you know the birding world is not entirely new for you, is it? No, not not at all.
2: I've um Loved birding since I was a, a small, uh, just a little boy. I uh, Had a family friend that got me started when my mother was ill and in the hospital for months, and would didn't know what to do uh, to help the family, but mm-hmm. took me on walks, and so I started to learn birds before I could read, and have been a, a lifelong birder. And uh, what what I lack in a skill, I make up for in enthusiasm. Let me tell totally you, awesome. um, totally uh, awesome. I'm, I'm all all in. So I feel extraordinarily lucky uh, to be involved with BWD. Um, when I was reading it back in the uh back in the eighties, right? I can remember this magazine for so yeah, right. so long and it's um it's a real honor to get to work with people like uh Jessica and and bring back um a magazine that I think is uh, really a, a bulwark of the birding community.
0: For sure. Uh and what exactly will your role be sort of in the in the in the new B W D So I am uh the
2: the publisher and mm-hmm. i am finding out what that role means i'm doing it along with <laughs> a uh, a friend rich lure who actually publishes magazines and and knows about this uh but by, by background i'm i'm an attorney so i i don't mm-hmm. have a publishing uh, background but i do have a partner that is is deep into it and has done it for many many years so i feel like we're on we're on solid ground there and so i'm um, looking forward to to working in in with all these people tremendous columnists that I've read for just years and years, yeah. people I've met at birding festivals throughout. Uh, I couldn't be more excited.
0: Yeah. How is the magazine going to change from what people are familiar with? I think people who have been in the birding world for a while are familiar with the sort of the, the Reader's Digest style size, Bird Watcher's Digest, but that's not necessarily how it's going to be going forward, is it?
1: You are correct. We have made some decisions that we think are going to elevate the magazine to a new level uh, aesthetically for sure. We're going to Mm -hmm. go to a more standard size magazine. Uh, When the magazine started, it was truly a digest. It was a compilation Mm -hmm. of already published articles. So it was True to the definition of digest. We haven't been that for many, many years. And so I know a lot of people are very sentimental about the size, but honestly, it doesn't do justice to our cover art, our Mm. photographers, you know, we've had to reduce, you know, you open it up and there are beautiful pictures, but they deserve to be on full pages and spreads and uh, the size that um, will really... uh, showcase the talents of our artists and photographers. Um, Our cover artists are so excited that there's room for more than a bird. (laughs) You can have (laughs) some birds and a landscape and it will, it's going to open up a lot of avenues for us. So um, we're doing a design refresh inside, inside to modernize it a little bit, uh, make it a little more cohesive and uh, probably the biggest news I guess would be we're changing the name to simply Mm -hmm. BWD. Uh, We'll still have the words Birdwatchers Digest on the cover, um, at least for the time being. But we definitely feel a connection to the legacy, and we want to honor that. But it's known through the industry as BWD, and we we've been kind of joking how it's like Kentucky Fried Chicken went to KFC, and (laughs) everyone knows what it is. Yeah. So, but we're excited about that too because it 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 brings our past with us, but it's a new chapter.
0: A lot of the writers that have you know made bwd birdwatchers digest such a such an important part of the birding community are going to be coming along with you i'm sure that they are really excited to uh to be able to continue doing what they're doing because you know there's there's one of the nice things about Bird Watchers digest is that it, it had such a huge reach right you got so many people out there reading your stuff looking at your photograph photographs uh, looking at your art um when that was gone i'm sure that was you know really sad for a lot of your contributors who who, you know, not only are paid to contribute to your magazine, but also do it because they just love birding and bird watchers and communicating with bird watchers.
1: Absolutely. We there was a large whole and grief and mm-hmm. <laughs> big feelings when the announcement was made that the magazine was going and it was really hard not to share with all these people don't give up we're we're working on yeah, this right. um, but the day we got to email all of our columnists and share the news like we heard back from everybody almost immediately and it was just excitement and uh, everyone just no one wanted to see it go and everyone's excited to be a yeah. part of the future
2: for
0: sure yeah you know we we've seen the we've seen a number of bird birding magazines sort of fall off by the wayside in the last 10 years a you know, wild bird it's it's a difficult time for publishing just in general um you know is it is it easier or harder to launch a magazine now than it would have been i, I guess you know, in 1978 you have a lot more avenues available to you but still you know there's yeah, uh, there's uh, kind of I'm kind of waving my hand. There's everything. There's all this stuff that sort of has to be considered. Well,
2: as long as you're not waving the white flag, uh, no, we're, um, no. Look, we're we're excited, and I think it's a great question because it is more difficult now mm-hmm. than it used to be. There are um, more things digitally than there were certainly in in '78 before the the internet and all of that, and so subscription. Publications that actually arrive in a mailbox have uh, have certainly taken a hit. We've all we've all seen that, but I think that there's still a place uh, for for mm-hmm. these and still an audience, and that is what yep. we're uh, that's what we're we're reaching for and excited about.
0: You already have uh, a ton of subscribers waiting for that next, uh, waiting for that next issue. I think I, that must be—you um, must have heard back from a lot of them as well, or or you're going to, I suppose, because we're speaking on the day that the announcement is coming out that BWD is. So maybe you haven't yet, but I, I imagine that a lot of people who have been longtime subscribers to Birdwatchers Digest or even new subscribers are, are really excited to hear that the magazine is coming back.
1: Absolutely. Uh, just glancing at some of the comments that we've seen today with our announcement, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Julie Zikafus posted a wonderful blog post that she shared, and it's getting shared like crazy, and the comments are climbing, and it's all just happy, just happiness, like, well, what, yeah. what a way to honor Bill on his, what would have been his 60th birthday, yeah, what, sure. um, just, you know, how do I subscribe, <laughs> all those things, like, <laughs> right, people are right, ready, right. and just, um, it's, it's so validating, this was this this had to happen. There was just, it just had to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And as, as a former member of the staff, um, it must've been, you know, a shock to know that the, the, the magazine was, was going to go under. How, how does it feel for that community of people that you have sort of built around this magazine, working for this magazine, that there's got to be a lot of excitement there as well. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, that was a a sad day. And I remember saying, Mm -hmm. this is my dream job. I, I, can't let this content die. Like I just, I was determined to find a way to make it stay alive. And Don Hewitt, yes, this is my dream job. Bruce Wonderly. Yes, this is my dream job. Yeah, I mean, right. we were all like, whatever it takes, you know, we don't even have to get paid. We just wanted to get the content right. and find a way to make it live on. Yeah. And, um, and uh, those folks and others are are coming back to help us do this. And it's just, um, it's, absolutely serendipitous how uh our our determination and Rich and Mike's paths crossed and just it's mm-hmm. everything's just falling in step and it's it's so serendipitous like Julie says in her post bill has to be watching over us he just has to be
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's it's impossible to sort of divorce bird digest and in whatever incarnation it takes from the legacy of the thompsons yep. and in particular bill who so many of us knew and considered a friend. Um, how will you continue that legacy with this new version of the magazine?
2: Well, I think we're going to try to honor that legacy by quality of content, which we think that the magazine mm-hmm. always had and want to continue great content. Um, we're also excited to continue artwork on the the cover of the magazine, have, um, yeah. have painted a work on the cover, which has been a hallmark of the magazine for so long yeah, sure. and i'm excited to announce that julie zikafoos is doing the uh the first uh relaunch cover and is painting that so very pleased about that so there are a number of ways that we think but at the same time uh, changing as jessica said the the format um to display photographs and artwork and in a more Eye catching uh in appealing way. So we're trying to honor the past, but also modernize things going forward to sure. to attract um an audience that can support the publication going forward.
0: Yeah, it's a great opportunity for that, I imagine. Right. And how about you, Jessie? You knew you were involved with Bill for a long <laughs> time. This has got to be super meaningful for you, not only as a pro- on a professional level, but on a personal level, to know that this this, you know this thing that bill thompson kind of brought into the world in a real way not to discount the the work of elsa and and bill jr but you know bt3 made birdwatchers digest this big iconic thing in the birding world you know how does it feel to you to be able to be the next the next one up to kind of carry it forward
1: trying to make me cry, Nate? <laughs> uh,
0: no, but that's good content. If you do, I'm just saying yeah,
1: it is super emotional. I mean, the man was my publishing mentor. He was my birding mentor. He was a dear friend. Um, he changed my life in so many ways. I, I, he's, he was always trying to find a way to get me on staff <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it just wasn't able to happen. And it's, it is very bittersweet that it happened because he passed, but I cannot, be more grateful that I get to honor him by being on the staff. And now as editor, I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, Bill and Don, they're, they're so beloved. And I can only hope to, to live up to the bar that they have
0: set. When can, when can people expect to see the next magazine, the next content? I know it's not just print contents anymore. When can people expect to start seeing Birdwatcher's Digest, BWD stuff? In their mailboxes, in front of their faces and their computers, all that stuff.
1: Well, we opened up our social media channels today. That's kind of our, our, right. little, our soft launch today. Um, we've got to rebuild our uh, our social media accounts because we had mm-hmm. large numbers of subscribers that are gone. And so we're kind of starting from scratch there. So we are BWD on Facebook and we are BWD underscore magazine on Instagram. So we've made those announcements there. We're going to start populating that content like we always did and get started there. In the meantime, we are hard at work on the July, August issue and that to uh, is mails late, late June that uh, we're back to our schedule. Um, and so Mm -hmm. Julie and I, and Don, we are plugging away, Bruce, we're all, um, working on pulling that content together and that we're, we're missing one issue, but otherwise we have not really missed a beat. Um, the Jan, Feb mailed, um, the March, April issues, um, online and we're just jumping in. So, um, coming soon to a mailbox near you. (laughs) Um, Subscriptions are not available just yet. Uh, As I said, this Mm -hmm. was a soft launch, but we have a lot of work ahead of us with the website and getting that up to speed as well. And that's where we will be pointing current subscribers and new subscribers uh, in the coming weeks. So more more news to come.
0: That's amazing. You only missed one issue?
1: March, April did not print, but it was we that was the project. Um, we had three days to pull that together once we found out that we wow. were closing the magazine. And it was a wonderful way for us to throw ourselves into those last few days. But um, we got it up on the site. Um, unfortunately, not printed, but we were very grateful to have that offering as a kind of a parting gift at the time.
0: Yeah, that's wild. Um, you know, we, we obviously have a magazine here. <laughs> At the American Birding Association, that uh, I, I know that you know Frank and Ted um, do a ton of work with that. I, it, it is hard to turn around a magazine that quickly. We were so that, that's impressive. That's we were a, so
1: close to you know <laughs> we couldn't we could not let that not be published. There were so many good articles in it. We just wanted to share it with the world.
0: So you know the ABA and Birdwatchers Digest has had a you know fairly close relationship over the years. Um, we've all been friends. We've all seen each other at bird festivals and bird fairs and all stuff, stuff like that. Um, I, I really hope that that relationship is going to continue here. I don't see why it, why it
2: wouldn't. Oh, it's, it's, it's going to look, I'm, I'm an ABA member have been for many, many years. Enjoy, you your enjoy your podcast. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on it, but I listen to it uh, right. all, all the time, read the right. magazine. Um, so, I couldn't be a, a bigger ABA fan and, um, really thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast and look forward for the organizations working together in the future, because, uh, that's part of the, the joy and in, in pleasure of, of birding is that, um, absolutely people, true. people help each other out and, um, we greatly appreciate the, the help today and look forward to returning the favor in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the great things, one of the things I love about, um, the birding world, the birding industry. Uh, for lack of a better better term, is that you know there really is a feeling of we're all pulling together trying to you know support the the sport the the hobby the advocacy of birding of bird watching however you want to however you want to call it there really isn't much of a distinction. Speaking personally, and I think I can speak for a lot of people at the ABA as well, is that there's a real sense of like rising tide lifts all boats here. Like there's a lot of content out there, but not too much that we feel like we're in competition with each other or anything. But there's you know, we, we all want there to be more birders and we want there to be more people who appreciate birding and appreciate, have a conservation ethic and a birding ethic. And I think that that's, you know, that's a huge part of what we're doing here, what we're both trying to do. And um, yeah, it'll it, it, I, I look forward to working together with both of you and everybody at BWD. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. <laughs> Congrats to, to both of you. Jessica Vaughn is the editor in chief, and Mike Sakopoulos is the publisher of the newly revamped BWD, uh, formerly Birdwatchers Digest. Be sure to find them on social media; they need the follows. Um, thanks so much for talking to me, and uh, good luck going forward. It's it's really exciting to have uh, Birdwatchers Digest, and you know, by extension, Bill Thompson III, kind of back back in the birding fold.
1: Thanks so much. Nate.
0: Thanks, mate. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits. You know what they are by now, but I'll, I'll repeat them again. Uh, you get our great magazines, you get discounts to partners, you get opportunities to travel with us, and you can get all the information you need about all those specifics at aba.org. Join. I have some special shout-outs to make this week to Karen Evans of Bakersfield, California, Ben Graham of Durham, North Carolina, Jay Duffy of Peterborough, New Hampshire, Ron Hamburger of Reading, Massachusetts, or perhaps that's Reading, Massachusetts, Andrew Simon of Washington, Michigan Win Schaefer of Haverford, Pennsylvania, Brian Moldashell of family of Brookhaven, New York, Michael gumtow and family of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, McKinsey Curtis Johnson and family of Beaverton, Oregon, Kelly Aldridge, and the Aldridges of Albuquerque. New Mexico, and Brian Kringen and family of Rapid City, South Dakota, all of whom recently joined the ABA, noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much for that. Welcome to the ABA. If you'd like a way to help without joining, you can leave a rating or review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, your comments. Let us know what works and they help folks find us. We really do appreciate that as well. Technical production is by John Lowry, who urges you not to confuse Birdwatcher's Digest's new name with the Bureau of Workforce Development, which has nothing to do with birds, as you might guess. But he doesn't want to belabor the point. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who, to their credit, did not confuse the birding magazine with the Bathing Water Directive, an effort to monitor fecal bacteria on beaches in the European Union. Though they did note that the European joke does sort of write itself there. You can find us online at aba.org on social media, most everywhere as American Birding Association, but on Twitter as ABA. Though I find it extremely unlikely that you would do so. Do not confuse the aforementioned bird publication with thrash metal band bloated whale decapitation. Though it must be said, there is only one person on the planet who might do so, and that person might actually be listening. Tony Crosdale, that one's for you. Questions, comments can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Till next week.